Is that? Ready? Okay. First of all, uh, good evening and welcome to Hakshiva. I'm not, the, the program for tonight is that um, I run Akshiva, so I'm going to spend just a few minutes introducing uh, Akshiva, introducing the program a little bit, introducing the players, um, and then we'll, um, we're privileged here from Mordechai Berg, um, which I'll, whom I'll introduce before he speaks, and then Ari Deutscher, who runs the program, the program that you are here specifically to hear about, uh, we'll show a little video and describe more detail about the program, and then you can ask questions, mingle with the Avrechim. Thank you for coming. And those are our, our main guys over here. Um, so Akshiva, if, for those of you who don't know a little bit about Akshiva, basically started, or this organization started about close to 20 years ago, and it catered mostly at that time to kids who were on the street, really taking kids out of the park, giving them a, a safe place to be, um, so on and so forth. Um, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail about everything we do. You can look online. We have brochures. You can see exactly all the programs we do. But the Gadol, we, we, we evolved uh, tremendously since then. Which And that activity, while we still do it in full force, here's where we do it. And we have a place in Gimel um, where we have kids, uh, boys and girls, obviously separate nights, who come and we have special programming for them. Um, who kids who are estranged from their parents on the streets have all kinds of serious issues, uh, criminal records, all kinds of things. But since then, we, we now do a whole gamut of other things. Um, within that division, we now have programs for uh, uh, post-high school girls who are regular post-high school girls in the system and everything, but giving them that chizuk, teaching them certain tools that would need to lead their lives. Um, we have a financial workshop that is, is, is being presented to them. Um, we have a lot of other programs in that division. We have another division. We have three divisions. The other division is really, I guess, educational, you would call it that, um, where we have remedial um, education. We have social skills groups. We do that here. We do that in schools, a, a variety of schools in, the, in, in, in Ramat Pechemish. Um, and then we have a whole therapy clinic we have about 12 therapists, professionals, who are excellent, um, run by a, a really a, 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 a wonderful and a very talented uh, person, a decan, if you know her. Um, and of course, we have clinical supervision and everything. Um, and we have about 800 kids at the moment that are registered for activity for groups and, and instruction and therapy in Akshiva today. And this past year, we've had over 1,200 kids that went through our system. Uh, and, then, and then in addition, we deal mostly with kids, with, with, um, with teenagers, with young adults. But over the past six months, we've also started to offer um, parents uh, uh, couples therapy, because obviously kids don't grow up in a vacuum. Um, more often than not, uh, unfortunately, we get kids and they need, and, and it's really the parents that also need help. Um, 
And then we also have other chaturim. We have uh, uh, parent guidance instruction on, uh, on, on education and so on and so forth. Now, today's society, um, as you probably figured out, 100 years ago when the maskilim were around, so there were debates, do I believe in God, do I not believe in God? But today, that's not what we're seeing. What we're seeing is there's a tremendous attraction to the, all the things that are out there, which I don't need to enumerate. You all know them. Um, a lot of ta'ava, um, a lot of things for the, all kinds of desires and, and emotional problems, mental issues that come up. So our goal here is, within the context of Yiddishkeit, to try and give kids and their parents the tools by which to lead productive, normative Jewish lives. That's really our goal here. Okay, we're not a Kirov organization, but everything we do is in the context of making the child and their, fam and their family thrive in the context of a Torah environment. So that's what we're here for. Now, this particular program was started nine months ago, year, year, year and a half already. But it really took, took speed like in the beginning of this past year. Um, and our board member who just called me, he's not well, it's not no good. Um, who really was the main the driving force of this program to start it because, you know, we, we also, for many years already, we recognize that there are a lot of kids, boys and girls, we have girls programs also, but let's take the boys who are in the system, they, they, um, they wear their black and white or whatever they wear, wherever they go, but then there, there, there's certain things that, that, that's bothering them. They're not, they're not they have questions, they have issues, they have emotional issues that they have to struggle with and deal with. And, and this program, which I'm not going to describe because I want Ari to describe it, um, is, is a ma'ane. Um, How do you say ma'ane? A, um, hmm? a response, thank you, for, for um, that particular uh, subset of boys, which is probably the largest subset out there. You know, boys who, who, who are in the system but need that extra... Okay, so that's so. I, I'm not going to. Uh, if you, again, if you want to know anything more about what we do, how we do it, you can speak to me. You can look online. You can look at the brochures we have outside. They're almost they're, they're updated, but we didn't add the last thing. Um, and uh, you can also read more about this program online as well. So, without further ado, I want to uh, introduce Rav Mordechai Berg, who is the Menahel of Mevaseret, right? And he's a mashpia of NCSY Summer, of Nitsosos, and uh, he can, his shurim can be found on nitsosos.com. Also the author of Nitsosos on Chumash, and a weekly contributor for a Meaningful Minute in Gen Aleph, right? And a senior rabbi at Tomek Vora. So without further ado, please. Thank you. Thank you. It sounds a lot more impressive when you read it from a paper like that. It sounds like a lot of things. So I just want to start, um, uh, Ari didn't ask me to do this, well he did ask me to speak, he asked me to do that, but Ari didn't ask me to do what I'm about to do. I just want to share a personal anecdote, just for a moment. Um, when, I was a, when I was a young man myself, I was expelled from elementary school in fifth grade. And uh, a lot of the kids, when they find out about that in yeshiva, they're like, Rebbe, what did you do in fifth grade? And it doesn't matter what I did. There was a very big tzaddik who, who took me into his yeshiva. His name is Rabbi Yaakov Bender. Some of you know Rabbi Bender from Darche Torah and Farakwe. So Rabbi Bender took me into the yeshiva. And I wasn't really from a family that was a Darche family. I guess that's the nicest way to say it. 
I had gone to a, a very different type of yeshiva. I went to a co-ed day school, and then I went to the black hat yeshiva world of Darchis. So it was a very big transition. And I remember very fondly, I had a, a Rebbe, some of you may have heard of him, he's very famous in America now, he's, a, he's one of the great mashkichim of the generation, his name is Rabbi Mordechai Finkelman, he's a tremendous tzaddik. Rabbi Finkelman was my 7th grade Rebbe, and in 8th grade he also became an 8th grade Rebbe. And they put me in Rabbi Finkelman's class in 8th grade in addition to 7th grade. Now, Rabbi Finkelman's a very big tzaddik. And if I'm being very honest, we didn't learn a word in seventh grade he was a, because he was a very big tzaddik. You know, there's certain rabbim that know how to, like, hold a classroom, and certain rabbim that they're such tzaddikim that they're just, like, they're, they're very open, they're very, very warm, very friendly. I didn't learn really a word in, in seventh grade. And all my friends were put in the other eighth grade shear, and it was very conspicuous that I was in the different class. And on day one, right away, in the morning, I ran to Rabbi Bender and I said, Rebbe, what happened? Why am I split from all of my friends? And Rabbi Bender, very honest, sat me down and he said, look, these boys are all going to certain yeshivas and they're all going in a certain direction and your family is not going in that direction. I was going to go back to a more modern Orthodox high school because frankly I had gone to a much more modern Orthodox elementary school. And he said, this Rebbe, the other shear, he's going to give you a very hard time. The boys from that year were going to yeshivas like Philadelphia, which I don't know what it is today, but back in the day, yeshiva Philadelphia was considered like one of the top yeshivas in America. Boys were going to yeshiva Rockaway. Boys were going to serious places, South Fallsburg. And I wasn't going in that direction. And he said, this Rebbe is going to give you a very hard time. So I thought it would be better to put you in Rabbi Finkelman's class. Rabbi Finkelman, very understanding, very warm, very approachable. And I said, no, 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 like, uh, that's where all my friends are, that's where I want to go. And even though it was the much more serious shear, and even though I was not the much more serious kid, I felt very strongly, like, I need to be with my friends. And I even remember that, that they, got a, they got a schmooze that we don't have recess. You know how, like, in elementary school you have recess and then you have lunch? So this Rebbe, day one, this other Rebbe, very serious Rebbe, he said, we don't have recess. Here we're preparing you for yeshiva. You have lunch, you have a 45-minute break, and that's it. It was like a very serious business. And in the end, Rabbi Bender let me switch to his class. And by the way, he did give me a very hard time about the high school that I was going to go to. And I'm still very close with that 8th grade Rebbe, Ada Yomazeh. Unfortunately, he's not feeling well right now. And he had a, he had a, a deal that you had, if you were going to be in his shear, which was the top shear, so you had to learn in Yeshif Farakaway twice a week at night with an older Avrich. Somebody who was already holding by base medrash, and that was your guy. And at the time, this might sound funny to you, at the time, the going rate was $10 an hour. So you guys can imagine $10 an hour. Um, and my parents, not reluctantly, Baruch Hashem, I have very supportive parents. My parents said, no problem, we'll pay the $20 a week for you to go learn in Yeshiv Rakwe. And the way that it worked is there was like a chavrusa tumult. Like you showed up, it was like a draft. I don't, know if you, I don't know how you work it here, but back then there was a draft. I walked into Yeshiv Farakway, and there was a group of Yeshiv Farakway guys lined up, and they were like scouting the talent. Like, who's the eighth grader? It's like imagine being picked last for like a baseball game, but you're picked last for base medrash. It's like the worst possible feeling in the world. They were very sneers about it. They were very good guys. And uh, I got picked by this guy whose name is currently Rabbi Avi Rosner, who's a very chosh of a Rebbe in TC in Yerushalayim. If any of you know TC at all, you know TC? Rabbi Rosner, what was that? Yeah, Taras Chaim. So Rabbi Rosner was my, when I was in eighth grade, he was, what you guys are doing 
I was that kid back in eighth grade. Of course, there were some other boys that we looked up to. Uh, they were all like tremendous basketball players. Yeshif Rockway at the time didn't have a gym. They had like a side outdoor basketball court. It was like a very ghetto type of, you know, think like early 90s, nobody had any money in the yeshiva world type of situation. But there were these guys that were these unbelievable ball players. And we, the eighth graders, we looked up to these guys. 19, 20, 21 years old, these were the, like, these were the Chasheva guys. I remember very distinctly, there was one guy who was this amazing basketball player, and, and he was like, everybody wanted to be like him, because not only was he a cool guy, not only was he a great basketball player, but he was an unbelievable learner. His father was a Rebbe in Yeshifarakwe, and the story went that in eighth, at, when I was in eighth grade, he went to his father with a Shaila and a Gemara in Gittin, and his father, who finished Shasas every single year, his father said to him, that's a klutz kasha. There's no way you learn getting well if you have that kasha. Go back and finish getting ten times. Come back to me if you still have the question. And this guy did it. He went and he finished getting ten times. And he came back to his father and he said, Ty, I still have the question. His father said, there's no way you still have this question. Go finish getting another ten times. If you still have this question, come back to me. And on the seventh go-around of the second cycle, 17 times he finished getting, he realized why it was a klutz kasha. And the legend, when I came into Yeshif Rakhway in eighth grade, this guy was this awesome basketball player, the coolest guy, and he finished getting 17 times. So that kid became Rav Daniel Kalish, the current head of Waterbury, for those of you who know Rav Kalish. And I want to tell you that the single greatest musser that I got in eighth grade, of course, learning with guys like Avi Rosner. Anyone here ever heard the Sefer Olam Amidos? There's a beautiful Sefer Olam Amidos written by Rav Moshe Don Kestenbaum. Moshe Don Kestenbaum and Avi Rosner were best friends, sat right next to each other in the base medrash. The greatest Musser that I got was here were these normal, relatable, cool guys who I could talk to. It's hard sometimes. Parents, we shouldn't take this the wrong way. It's hard to talk to kids. You know, like, we're, we're so much older than them. It's hard to remember what it's like to be, how old are the kids that are in this program? Elementary school? No, High school? It's hard to remember what it's like to be 16 years old. Somebody once told me that the godless of Rav Moshe Weinberger in the Five Towns is that he never forgot what it was like to be 16. It's a tremendous vart, no? It's, it's hard to remember what it's like to be 16 years old. The position that you guys, the Avrechem, are in is, is a life-changing position. Really, it's a life-changing position. You don't know and you can't say what Hatzlacha is come back in 10, 15, 20 years, you'll see these kids and they'll say, I remember that time that you told me this and it made such an impact. And it, for you, it was a throwaway line. They might have seen you walking down the street, you might have them over for a Shabbos, whatever it is, but I want you to know the impact you could have on these kids is ayam venayra, you can't possibly imagine. And for the parents who are smart enough to participate in this program, and for the parents who are smart enough to support this program, I have to tell you, this is easy money, this is low-hanging fruit. You know, in, in, Ameri- in America, so we don't pay so much for tuition. But in America, you can pay thousands, tens of thousands of dollars for tuition for every one of your kids. But the MS is the money that we spend on Avrechim learning with our kids, it's worth much more than all the tuition that we're paying. The amount of impact that one Avrech, one older Bacher, could have on a young, younger Bacher is it's inestimable. It's just, it's huge. You can't be Mashiach the impact you're having. So, first of all, call a kavot to you. And, uh, and really, Kol Shiva, not just for this particular program, but for all the work that's being done, and specifically to Rabbi Deitcher for all the work that you're doing here. I know it could sometimes feel not so... Uh, 
it, it doesn't always feel, you don't always get the, uh, the round of applause, but I want you to know that uh, what you're doing for the community is not some. I, I just want to take a couple of minutes, I understand we're going to have maybe at the end a couple of minutes for questions, but I just want to take a couple of minutes to, to talk about something in this week's Parsha. We don't often think about this in the Parsha because we're used to thinking about it in the Haggadah. But the, the three of the four sons that are in the Haggadah are actually in this week's Parsha. And so just, I don't know if we'll get to all four, but just to take a moment to analyze, not Pesach. You know, Pesach usually has like two moments. There's all the weeks leading up to Pesach of all the time that we spend being Mashkia and all the Devrei Torah that we're going to say at the Seder. And then there's the time that we say at the Seder that we're just trying to keep our kids engaged. How often do we get to actually like spend time at the Seder really darshaning these things? So I just want to spend a couple of moments on this. Going through the, the, the three children that we see in this week's parsha, the three sons that we see in this week's parsha are the Chacham, the Rasha, and the Eni Yodei Elisha. I, I want to. I usually uh, I usually share something personal, so I just want to share something something personal to start this. The first thing that we see from the Arba Banim is you need to understand your kids. When we're asking, when we're hearing questions from our children. It's not obvious that the questions that they're asking are the questions that they're asking. Do you know what I mean by that? There's always the overt question, and then there's the covert question. There's the words that the kids are expressing, and then there's the thing that they actually mean. And it's, it's not obvious that the thing that's being expressed that you're responding to is actually what's bothering them. And I'll share with you a, a Maisa Shahaya that just happened in the last hour. I, I had a very, very long day today. I've been up since 4.30 in the morning. Not a Pasha day. Uh, a lot of things going on, it doesn't matter what the details are. I walked into my house, and my, one of my daughters, Baruch Hashem, I have, I have wonderful, amazing kids, I'm blessed, every single one of them is incredible. But my wife said something, and I'll be honest with you, what she said was completely innocuous, and my daughter just went off on her. <laughs> it's like, you don't understand that these are totally normal feelings to have. By the way, for the men in the audience, if you don't have yet older teenage daughters, I want you to know this is a common occurrence, right? You don't understand that the feelings I'm having are normal. Is a very, those are very common words. And she just went off. And I just, I'm like, one second. I just, I just, one time out. What just happened? She's like, no, you don't understand. And I'm like, okay, the Seder. And I'm like thinking in my head, I'm about to go give a parenting shear in Hakshiva in an hour, and I have my daughter like roasting me. You don't understand that the feelings that I'm having are normal. And I think, I think that, that what she experienced tonight is, a, is actually a very normal thing. It makes sense. Something happened. My wife said something. She meant something totally innocuous. She didn't mean anything bad, chas v'shalom, not even a little bit. But the idea that we don't understand her experience and that she's communicating to us something and that we as parents have a responsibility to touch up what, she's, what she is, what she is in that moment and then respond to that, that's an art form. That's not obvious. A kid says something and you respond and you respond quickly, it, that's, that's, that's bad parenting. There's a, uh, there's a therapist I know in Yerushalayim. I don't know if any of you know of him. His name is uh, David Levine. Have you ever heard of David Levine in Yerushalayim? He's a tremendous, tremendous therapist, and he has a move. His move in therapy is when a client is talking to him and a client says something, he pauses. But it's like a hard pause. You know what I'm talking about? Not like a pause where he like, pauses for a minute. He closes his eyes, and he'll take 30 seconds sometimes centering himself or really processing, really trying to understand the question 
before he responds. It's an amazing move. And if you've ever been in a room with him when he does it, you'll see like the whole room feels different. And his responses, the words, are so carefully tailored. Sometimes the words that come out of his mouth are, can you help me understand this question? I'm not sure that I chapped it. Or sometimes he'll say, it seems like you're asking me this. Am I getting that right? Or sometimes he'll come out with a response. But hitting pause to touch up, to say, what question am I getting here? Is this the question of a chacham? Is it the question of a rasha? Is it the question of a tam? Is it the question of an eniodea lishal? Knowing that there are arba banim, and it could be that there's an infinite amount of banim, but let's say there's four archetypal children. There's a, there's a, a certain bria that this kid is communicating from this place. It's not obvious to know that. Not as parents, and not as avreichim. You guys have to know that when a kid asks you a question, you have to be prepared that the question that's coming to you has to be understood in context. I know context today, especially here in Eretz Yisrael, is a very dangerous word because the entire Arab world wants to, we have to give context to October 7th. Not all context is created equal. But certainly with our children, giving context is an important thing. I'm trying to think of an example of this. The first example that comes to my head is many, many, many years ago when I first started in Chinuch, a boy came to me and he said, how bad is it? Right? And by the way, whenever you get a question that starts off with how bad is it, brace yourself. It's going to be worse than you think. Yeah, so he goes, how bad is it that my maid cooks food for us on Shabbos? How bad is it? So I'm like, just help me understand the Metzias here for a second. What exactly is happening? He's like, she takes the chicken out of the fridge she cuts it, she puts it in the egg, she puts it in the bread gum, she turns on the fire, she puts it in the oil, all on Shabbos. How bad is it? So what do you think he's asking? You think he's asking me a halachic question? Pashtus is asking me a halachic question. Emma says he wasn't asking me a halachic question at all. He, he understood that halachically it was probably not the right thing to do. What he was really asking me, and by the way, many, many, and I did this back then for sure, many of our initial responses is to go, well, that, that's awesome, Right? And by the way, that's not, that's not obvious that you should do that either, right? Even if, like, even if it is Aser, it's not obvious that your first response should be that that's Aser. I asked him, I said, what, what are you asking me? How bad is it? Like, you want to know, like, scale of 1 to 10? Like, what, like, like how much Gehenim? Like, what are, you, what are you looking for here, right? So he said, can I eat in my parents' house? So I was like, okay, so are we still in the world of Halacha? And then he just broke down crying. He's like, I just can't understand why they're raising me in an Orthodox Jewish institution, and I, I do believe what my rabbi are teaching me, and I feel so, like, uncomfortable in my own home. He wasn't asking me a halachic question. It presented itself as a halachic question. You know what I mean? But it's not a halachic question. We have to be smart enough to know when our kids are asking us questions, there's almost always the question behind the question. By the way, if you ever want to know what the question behind the question is, there's a really easy way to tell. The thing that they tell you is like, I'm not saying this. I'm asking this, right? The thing that they tell you they're not saying is almost always the thing that they're... Asking for a friend is always asking for themselves. When they say, I'm not saying it bothers me, it's just like it bothers me, right? You, you have to be able to be smart enough to hear the words that they're saying and respond to the kid that's in front of you. So Rav Isaacson, who's the Rosh of Mevaser, he has a great line. He says, the first rule of Chinuch is Who are you standing in front of? Or who's standing in front of you, right? The kid, you have an achrayis to know your children. 
if you're learning with a kid and you're not taking time, it's not batala. I know you're, you feel like I have to learn, we have to steig. It's not batala. If you don't know the kid, you can't teach the taisvis. You're not playing the game, you're playing the man. If you don't know the kid, you can't teach the taisvis. There's no metzias no in the world where the Rabbani Shalom values the taisvis more than the yid. And if you don't know the yid, you can't teach them the taisvis. And I'm not just talking about having a relationship. You don't know what's going to come up around that taisvis that's going to bother you. We always have this issue in yeshiva, if you're, especially in the years that we're learning Gittin, and especially when kids in the yeshiva are struggling with parents who got divorced or in the process of getting divorced, you have to be able to know that the question that's being asked could be about something in their life, which means we have an obligation to know what's going on in their life. It's kedai to battle. It's Kadai when they come to take... I'm not saying you have to battle the entire time, but I'm just trying to run a program here. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying that you're spending 45 minutes doing that. I'm saying it's, good, it's a good idea to sit down when the kid comes to you. It's a good idea to go, how was your day? What's going on? It's a good idea to say, when can we take a walk? It, it's, you can't know... You can't, how am I supposed to respond to the question? The, the, the Haggad is very clear. Chacham mahu omer. It's a chacham that we're dealing with. So mamela, we understand the question and the context. The Balagod is already telling us, this kid is a chacham. Ah, I know this kid is a chacham that's going to require this type of response. I know this kid is a rasha that's going to require this type of response. You see this all the time in yeshiva. Rebbeim come to me, he said, he asked me this, but I'm telling you, this is what he meant. How does the Rebbe know? The Rebbe knows because he took the time to know the kid. And I'm not saying, again, I want to be clear, I don't want to mean chashom, we're not trying to define kids or box kids in or say, you're this type of kid. But all children are a specific type, especially for the, uh, for the parents that are here, especially the older parents. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You know how, like, everyone's complex, everyone's big, I'm not chashom putting anyone in a box, but, you know, there's always, like, that kid. And I'm not talking about the letters. I'm not talking about, like, oh, she has ADHD, he has OCD. I'm not talking about that. It's a certain tipus, there's a certain type of kid. You have to know the type of kid that you're dealing with. Sometimes it means I know the type of kid that I'm dealing with, so this is not the fight. I'm not fighting with them on this, because this is this type of kid. This is not, the, this is not worth fighting about. Parents who don't know their children, avreichim who don't know their kids, come on, we're here to learn, let's go. Maybe the kid isn't here to learn. Maybe that's not what the kid came in the door for. It's not obvious that just because a kid comes down and opens up a Gemara, that he's there to learn. In fact, there's a Rebbe in Yeshiva that he says... Uh, if you ever want to know what's going on in a kid's life, crack open a Gemara. Believe me, in two seconds flat, you're going to know everything that's going on in that kid's life. By the way, it's, it's a beautiful thing that a, that a Rebbe can open up a black Gemara with a kid and that a kid goes, I just got to tell you what's going on. I'm having such a hard time. There's something very beautiful about that. That's what we're here for. We're here to build people. Part of building a person might be Tysus, but you have, to learn the, you have to learn the person first. So I want to talk tonight about three types of, of children that we see. I think all of us probably have a little bit of this in us. The, the first type is the Chachum. And if you look carefully at what the Bala Gada says, quotes the Pasuk, so the first pasuk that we have in this week's parsha is the Chacham. It's the, it's the Balagada's interpretation that it's a Chacham. But the Balagada says we have a person and he's asking, what are these Eidos, what are these Chukim, what are these Mishpatim to you? And we give him a very strange answer. So I saw a very beautiful pshat. There's a certain, there's a certain lack of humility that perhaps... I don't want to say for anyone else, but I, I, I know for sure for myself, and I've seen this many times in Chenach, 
there's a certain lack of humility that all children have. It's normal for them to have this lack of humility because kids want to understand. Anyone here ever heard of, of Mendel Kessin? Mendel Kessin? He's a, he's a tremendous uh, balashkafa, specifically in the works of the Ramchal. And years and years ago, I took a, a class with him for an entire summer, one of the most brilliant chinuch courses I ever took in my life. And he said, children love learning. What they hate is not understanding. Children love learning. What they hate is not understanding. There is nothing worse than opening up a black Gemara and the black Gemara tells you, you are an idiot. And it's true. I mean, think about it. If we opened up a Sefer in German, how fast would we close it? Yeah? And imagine if a Rebbe said to you, no, go break your teeth over it. Would any of us break our teeth over German poetry? I imagine, first of all, German poetry by itself is a very funny concept. The idea that, like, I just, I don't know, French I could get behind, but German poetry doesn't seem like a poetic language. But imagine the Rebbe goes, no, no, you're going to love it. You just have to work harder to love it. No, none of us are buying that. And it's the same thing for so many of these kids. They love to learn. They love to learn. What they hate is to not know. What they hate is to not know. You see these American Bachram, they come to Eretz Yisrael for the year. They don't know how to translate. They don't know how to punctuate. They don't know how to vowelize. They never learned Mishnayis. They never learned Chumash. They don't know what the Gemara is doing because they never understood the background information to the Gemara. They've never been trained in Lamdus. They don't understand how to be Masbra Machlaikas. They don't understand the bumps in the road that Rashi is dealing with and why Rashi said what he's saying to see the way, things that are missing in the Gemara. So what does the kid say? It seems irrelevant to me. Of the seven problems with Gemara, relevance is the seventh one. It, we're, we're not dealing with relevance. And the raya is that when kids get good at Gemara, they stop talking about the relevancy of it. No? Remember yourself where you got good at it and you were like, oh, I could figure out how to do this, and then you stopped being like, you didn't have to make it up anymore? I remember when I was in, uh, in seventh grade, I was growing up in Farakway. There was a shul in Farakway called Young Israel Farakway many years ago. The Young Israel Farakway rims were, were not 10 feet tall, but I was a very small kid. And for the life of me, thank you so much. That's very kind of you. You must be an amazing parent to see the need of someone and to provide for that need. Thank you very much. I, I remember I could not for the life of me reach the rim. So whenever anyone asked me if I wanted to play basketball, what was my response? I hate basketball. I don't play basketball. I love playing baseball because if you're a tiny kid, you have a tiny strike zone. You could always get on base because they're going to walk you every single time. So I was always like... I hate basketball. Until 8th grade when I had my first growth spurt, and then all of a sudden I was like, I think I like basketball. Had nothing to do with basketball. If you're good at something, you like it. So kids have a natural, I'm going to say this word, I don't mean it like this, but there's a natural arrogance that a kid has. I need to understand. And if I don't understand, it's not good. I can't do something that I don't understand. I'll share with you uh, a Misa. I was in Los Angeles. Anyone here from Los Angeles? from Los Angeles. So you know Pico. So I was taking a walk down Pico with this, uh, with this kid. I was giving him a faher, and I'm walking down the street with him, and we're walking down Pico, because I couldn't sit. It was in Eula. Where'd you go to high school? I was born here. Oh, you grew up there. So I, this kid was a Eula kid, and if you, I don't know if any of you guys have ever had the klala in your life of having to do a massive amount of interviews in a very short amount of time. It's one of the worst things that a Rebbe has to go through. Because you have to sit with the same kid over and over again. You have to say to him, why do you want to come to yeshiva? And every kid thinks he's giving the same clever answer as if nobody ever said this before. They're like, I don't know if I want to learn, but I want to want to learn. 
And you hear that like how many times in a row? And my ADHD kicked in. I just couldn't, I couldn't handle it anymore. So I told this kid, let's go for a walk. So I said, let's go for a walk. So we're walking down Pico. I said, why do you want to come to Israel? So he said, I want answers to my questions. I said, that's a beautiful reason to come to Eretz Yisrael. So he said, I don't do anything unless I know the answer. So I said, it doesn't seem to be true to me. You do a lot of things in your life that you don't understand. So he's like, what are you talking about? I only do things I understand. I was like, you have a car? He's like, yeah. I was like, you bring it to a mechanic? Yeah. You, get, you pay him to fix it? You understand what he's doing? He's like, okay, I don't understand my mechanic. But every single other thing that I do in my life, it's a very teenager thing to say. It seems to be very intellectual. It's like, I'm a chacham, what do you mean? I don't do things I don't understand. One of the most important chinuch lessons that we have to give our children is you're not going to understand everything because the mind is finite. The mind has a gvul. We can only understand that which is understandable. Even in the world of imagination, what do we imagine? We can imagine a unicorn. Because what's a unicorn? I know horns, I know horses. I could put them together. You can't imagine something that's beyond the world of the finite. You can only take things within the finite and put them together. There's a, there's a responsibility that we have as parents, maybe the first responsibility, that, and especially if we're learning Torah with these boys, that the mind is something that the Rabbani Shalom gave us to serve him. And we have to do our best to fit whatever we can into our mind, whatever is within the realm of the understandable. But also, not everything is understandable. There's a certain gaiva of, I have to understand the Rabbani Shalom. You can never understand the Rabbani Shalom. The Chacham is asking, What's bothering the Chacham? I, there are things in the Torah that I don't understand. Why do I have to put on tefillin? You ever have that question from a kid? Why do I have to put on tefillin? A kid, says, a kid said to me once, he goes, I'm not getting struck by lightning. This was his shprach, because I don't wrap straps. This is such a painful lushan, wrapping straps. I never heard, I always heard like putting on tefillin. This kid was wrapping straps. He goes, I don't wrap straps and I'm not getting hit by lightning. And, and I want you to know, I hear it. If the only reason that you're putting on tefillin is because I'm afraid of being punished, the, the emesis, there's something very beautiful about saying, I don't want to put on tefillin anymore. I hear it. But there's also a certain, a certain anivos that we need to teach our children that you don't need to understand everything. Especially when they get married, right? For those of us in the room that are married, how many of us understand, I'll, I'll do it on this side of the room, please don't take offense. How many of us understand what our wives want from us? We have no idea what our wives want from us. And it's not a bad thing. And, 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 and we, we're, we're doing our best, but we're a different species. And it's very hard to learn what the other half of the species is looking for. And if somebody, if somebody, imagine if somebody said those words. Imagine somebody said the words to their wife. Their wife said, could you do this for me? And you go, not until I understand why. <laughs> that, that's, a, that's, a terrible, that's a terrible idea for a relationship. In a relationship, our first response has to be yes and to humble ourselves before the person that's asking. I'm saying this, and I know it's probably not going to hit in this audience, but it's worthwhile anyway. Anyone here, like a, I'm not a guy who grew up Chal Yisrael. I don't know if you all grew up Chal Yisrael. You know what a Hershey kiss is? You know what a Hershey kiss? Okay, so for those of us that used to be Avaryanam, yeah? You know what a Hershey kiss is? So when you open up a Hershey kiss... You know there's like a little white powder on the top of the Hershey Kiss, like from the, t- from the tinfoil? If you open up a Hershey Kiss and you see those, that little white powder and your first thought is anthrax, that's probably something that's going to kill me. You have issues. Like, it's a Hershey Kiss. If your first thought is anthrax, you have a problem in your life. 
If somebody's trying to teach you Torah and you don't understand, and your first response is, whoa, 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 I don't understand what's going on, I'm not doing anything here. That means there's something else going on here. And it's our responsibility, and I think this is the first thing the Baladav is telling us for a reason. There's an anivus that we need to teach our children when it comes to learning. You don't need to know everything. Not everything is given over into the realm of understanding. We do our best to understand, but it's okay not to understand some things. In fact, you might argue that sometimes being the best Jew that we could be is I'm serving you and I have no idea why I'm doing it. And as parents, I'm not saying this is a good line. I don't want anyone to walk out of here and say, Berg said this. But there is something to it, which definitely means I'm going to get misquoted, but I'm okay with the misquote. There, there's such a thing as telling your children, do this because that's what I told you to do. And there's something healthy about that. I'm not saying that we don't have a responsibility to teach our children why we're doing things. But when a parent tells a child, we're doing this now, the, the attitude that we need to instill in our homes is that's what we're doing now. If a kid demands an answer that's a beautiful thing, I want to teach you, you deserve good answers. But understand that our first step when it comes to the world of doing is we're here. This is what we're doing now. There's anivas. We're humbling ourselves before something larger than ourselves. And I, 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 I want to say in the nicest way, because I happen to think we're dealing with a dharmatsuya, and these kids are amazing today. But I want to say in the nicest way that sometimes I think we put the cart before the horse. And sometimes we tell our kids, like, you're the center of the world. And it's not a healthy way for children to grow up. A healthy way for children to grow up is to know I'm the to something larger than myself. And that's a, that's a, it's, a, it's, it's a fundamental idea. I don't want to go out to Meirev right now. Well, I mean, how many, listen, if we're being honest with ourselves, how many of us didn't have moments in our life where it was like, let's say you forgot to dive in Meirev, you're in your house and you're going, oh man. You, start, you, you ever do the masa schedule thing? You ever like in your head going like, I've got 15 minutes to that, you know, to that Meirev. I'll make this decision in seven. You ever do? You ever like have moments like that? What what drives us if we do make that mirev? What drives us to make that mirev? There's a shibud. There's a shibud. I'm a shibud to something larger than myself. So I think the first thing the Baladada tells us is teach your children the anivus that there's something larger than themselves that's beyond understanding. That's not a bad thing for kids to learn. The second thing is the Russia. The Russia is my, my, the Russia's my favorite. Everybody darshans on the Russia. You know, by the end of the Haggadah, it's like every single kid is the exact opposite of what they were, right? The Chacham is a Russia. The Russia is a Tzaddik. The Tom is the most complex person in the world. The Enio Delishal is Rechaim Kanievsky. You know, like, everyone darshans it. I, I just want to say a very simple thing. The Russia... The, the Russia, the Baal says, Ma'avayda Azayislachem, quoting the Pasuk, the, the, the Baal HaGadah says, there's an amazing line. It's an African proverb. I don't often quote from the Gaim, but this is an amazing line. A child who does not feel the embrace of the village will burn it down to feel its warmth. It's an amazing line. A child who does not feel the embrace of the village will burn it down to feel its warmth. He's a Russia. I'm not saying he's not a Russia. He's a Russia. He's Taka a Russia. He's doing things that a Russia would do. Why? Because he's removed himself from the tzibur. And why has he removed himself from the tzibur? And I'm sure that the people running Akshiva could tell you this as well as anybody in the world. Because if we're being honest, they're just reflecting what we told them. And it's a big, it's a big indictment on the Jewish community, but the MS is it's true. Kids who feel loved by the community do not run. They don't run. Kids, kids who are not matzliach in yeshiva, but feel loved by the yeshiva, they don't run. 
The kids who run, they run because we told them to run. It's not nice what I'm saying, but it's MS. I grew up in Yeshiva Darche Torah, as I mentioned. I want you to know there were far, far, far from brilliant kids in that yeshiva. There were kids, mamish, that had no shaykhs to the world of learning Torah. But there was a real space for them in Darche. And many of those boys stayed connected to the yeshiva for years, even though they mamish couldn't learn a black Gemara, but they felt loved by the Gemara. They mamish, I'm sorry, they felt loved by the yeshiva, not by the Gemara. They felt loved by the yeshiva. And they had no reason to leave the community. Because either Rabbah, they were celebrated for their talents. They were celebrated in their way. I remember uh, Rabbi Bender when he opened the vocational school in Darche. It was a huge thing that he opened in the yeshiva, a program for boys who were not going to be taking regents or going to college. And he opened for a plumbing program and an electrician program, and they learned how to work on cars. It was unbelievable. It was a gavaldika thing because the kids said, ah, there's a place for me in this yeshiva. They were celebrated for their talents. A kid who's told, leave the community, he will. He will. The kids listen very well. When they're told there's no place for you, they listen very well. And when a kid feels loved by the community, he won't leave. I, was, uh, I had um, dinner with a very old friend of mine, a guy that I know since I'm one years old. I had dinner with him a couple nights ago. And we were talking about this. He, he mentioned it again. We had spoken about it a couple months ago. In my high school class, there was a guy that could not pass a test to save his life. Mamish could not pass a test. And the school made a deal. Ooh, uh, the school made a deal. Old friends. Old friends walk in. The school made a deal that if this kid will pass a test, you can ask your father this, if this school, his father was a rabbi of mine in high school. His, I should say it differently. His father taught a shir and I was in that room in high school. Yeah? And, uh, but I had tremendous respect for the rabbi in that case. His father was an excellent ball player. But, the, uh, but you should know, this kid, the school made a deal, if he passes a test, the whole class gets an ice cream party. Four years of high school, we had three ice cream parties. Three ice cream parties. He passed three tests in all of high school. By the way, he's the wealthiest guy in my class, by far. By far. And when, when the school rebuilt the school, and they made, he was the one who made the biggest donation. He's an unbelievable guy. But you should know, he, he makes the biggest donation because he felt the love from the school. And other kids didn't. Other kids didn't feel that same love. The, the Russia is not a Russia because he's bad. It's because he's not part of the Tzibur. And why is he not part of the Tzibur? Because we didn't help him feel part of the Tzibur. That's why the Vart of here of the Lubavitcher Rebbe is a beautiful, beautiful Vart. He says, Hake Eshinav. Hake Eshinav, doesn't mean to punch a kid. We don't punch children in the face. It's not, uh, I'm sure it's against Takshiva's policies, and it's also not a good idea. The, uh, the Hake Eshinav means if a kid is talking that way, then you gotta, you, gotta, you gotta stop him from talking that way. You gotta, the way we talk makes a difference. You have to stop a kid from talking this way, and you have to say to him, if you were in Mitzrayim, you wouldn't be redeemed. The Hainu, if you were in Mitzrayim, you wouldn't be redeemed because it was pre-Matan Torah and only 20% went out. But since Matan Torah occurred and now HaKadosh Baruch Hu chose us for no reason, so now when it comes time for Mashiach, every single Jew will be redeemed. Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu chose us for no reason, so there's no reason that he'll ever stop loving us. So there's nothing that a Yid couldn't be redeemed for. It's a beautiful shot because this is the antidote to telling kids who don't feel a part of the community, we love you and there's nothing you could do to push us away. And it, it's the most amazing thing. If, if Kids will tell you all the time, I just was on the phone with a mother yesterday, and the kid is mamish not performing in yeshiva, and I said, teach me, what does your son need? She said, he needs Rebbeim who will refuse to push him away, even when he's saying, push me away. He's mamish not showing up. What he's screaming for, and the mother's right, 100%. 
She's saying he's, she's, he's screaming for a Rebbe to like, he's testing us. Like, will you push me away? I'm not showing up. What are you going to do now? You're going to throw me out? He asked me that, by the way, Pamali. He walked into the office because he's going to throw me out. So I said, no. He goes, why? I said, because you want to be. <laughs> I don't throw kids out that want to be thrown out. So I, I'm, I'm a contrarian. I'm fighting you. So he's like, he's like so I go, fine, I don't want to be thrown out. Now you're going to throw me out? I said, no. He said, why? I said, because you want, you, want, you want to be thrown out. You're lying to me. <laughs> Stop lying to me. It, it, the kid is mamish testing boundaries. Our responsibility is to widen the road and to make sure that every one of these kids feels they have a place. And not to plug again your program, but I just want to say this. These programs, programs like this, not programs for after the fact, programs like this, they teach kids you have a place. A kid, a kid who comes and learns with an avrech, and he comes the next day to yeshiva, and he knows that Rambam, he knows that Taisus, he knows that Rashi, he even knows Shaklev Tari the Gemara, he has a place in the classroom. His Rebbe is going to be Meshabeach, and he has a place. It's, this is not rocket science. It's a, this, is, this is paint by number. A kid who feels loved will love. That's it. This is like, we know this. this is, we don't, I don't know why it's like, it's obvious, but yet it's not so obvious when it comes to our own children or the community. I had a, I had a, a Rebbe come ask me the following, Shiloh. The Rebbe, by the way, you should know, this Rebbe is one of the most inclusive, warm, dynamic Rebbe I've ever met in my life. In his community, not Ramat Pechemesh. In this community, there's a boy who went off the derech, and the sister, psychotic, the sister is like persona non grata now because obviously the family was a hard time, and maybe she was talking to boys for a minute, and now in the community, the parents don't want their daughters to play with this girl. She's an eighth grader. Nobody could play with this girl. So the Rebbe came to me. He goes, what should I do? My daughter wants to have her over with all the chevra, but if this girl comes, the mothers won't let their other kids come. Can you imagine? So he's like, my heart, he came to me for eight, so he's like, my heart is breaking for this kid. I said, I just have one question for you. How would you feel if it was your daughter? How would you feel if it was your daughter that she wanted to come over to somebody else's house, but if she comes over, nobody else is allowed to play? So he said, I had them all over. And Taka, one parent didn't send. Everybody else talked a big game, but in the end, their kids came. But how sick is that? I mean it in the sweetest way. It's a beautiful thing, and I understand that Claudius is trying to protect their children. But what are we talking about? The surest way to send that kid off the derech is nobody play with the kid. Is this what the Rabbani Shalom gets nachas from? I know I'm speaking very straight right now, but it hurts me. It hurts me. I want you to know, what would have been if Rabbi Bender didn't take me all those years ago because I was the hafter kid? Rabbi Bender, Darche was a yeshiva that was anti-television. My father was the president of a television association. Like all the shows that you didn't see on television growing up, they were my father's shows. Literally, I was in an anti-television school. We were not a television family. It's not like we had a television in the house. We were a television family. The entire Parnassa came from television. Why did Rabbi Bender take us? Because he was confident in his own chinuch that he could include people in the community, and that kids wouldn't run away. And by the way, I did say inappropriate things. The first Mishnah in Kedushan, I'm not going to get into the details. I want you to know, in eighth grade, a lot of those kids didn't know what that Mishnah meant. I knew what the Mishnah meant, so I taught all the big Russian yeshiva from Long Beach and from Bell Harbor and from all those places. I was, I was the one explaining to them, oh, you don't know what the Mishnah means. I'll teach you what the Mishnah means. I was a different kid. I want you to know those kids didn't go off the direct for knowing what the Mishnah in Kedushan meant. But the impact that they had on me was much bigger than the impact that I had on them. I'll tell you another Maisa very quickly. You know, there's a rav in the five towns. His name is Rabbi Binyamin Cherney. Anyone here of Rabbi Cherney? He's a tremendous, tremendous tzaddik. He had a son, who's na- has a son, whose name is Moshe Cherney. Now Moshe Cherney is Rabbi Moshe Cherney living in Lakewood. Moshe Cherney was my little brother's best friend. 
And my father used to call Moshe Cherney the rollerblading Rebbe because they would go rollerblading and he had long payas and his payas would fly like racing stripes when he, was, uh, when he was rollerblading. It's a very beautiful thing. We should get you some rollerblades. You know, mom should be like... It's a, everyone, everyone should have the title once in their life of the rollerblading Rebbe. I only have these little guys. It doesn't work. And also these are the remnants of a once great nation of hair. But the, the rest of this is not so much, yeah? So I asked Rabbi Cherney years ago, I said, Rebbe, why did you let Moshe Cherney hang out in my house? You know he was watching television with my brother. So Rabbi Cherney looked at me like I was nuts. And he said, Mordechai, your parents are amazing people. I have no problem with my son being in their house. And I was very confident in the chinuch of my own home. And it, it, I was like, right, where did I lose that idea, right? That kids can interact. Where Today we're like, if they talk to a kid who's not exactly like them, it's like, for sure they're going off the derech. If you think because your kid talks to another kid they're going off the derech, then your kid was already going off the derech. There's something about making our community a place where we're not just looking. Again, I'm not saying that every kid is, that kids don't have ashba. Kids have ashba. But how do we create a community where every kid feels loved? This is the problem of the Russia. One more, and then we'll finish with this, and then we can open it up to questions if we have any, which maybe we don't. Then we'll do the awkward silence thing, and that's also a very beautiful thing. The last one in this week's parsha is the Tam. And the Tam, we, we think of the Tam as simple, but the Emesis is the word Tam means complete. Tam, like when something is simple, it has no parts to it, it's full. There's another Avaida that, that happens to our children, that our children feel like, why do I need the Abishter in my life? I'm complete without Hashem. I have everything I need. Why do I need, why do I need the Rabbani Shalom in my life? And by the way, it's another thing that our kids learn from us in the community. Because the Emesis is we have a tremendous amount. No, you look around in this community, this community is amazing. I mean, how long, how long have you guys been here for? You've been here for a minute? So I'm here almost 17 years. I remember when before they had Ramat Beit Shemesh Gimel and uh, before they had the malls, when I moved in, there were sheep in my backyard. The first Friday that I walked in, that I moved into my house, there were sheep in my backyard where the new mall is being built. And there was a Mayan, and there were several Hasidim going to Mikvah on Erev Shabbos. It was a very uncomfortable thing. I said, One of them turned around and waved at me. I turned back around through that. And now there's a mall there. I remember when this community was much, much smaller. We have a tremendous amount. And in a certain way, it's very easy for us to turn around and go, what do I need Hashem for? I have everything I need. The Jewish community has so much money today. So, Baruch Hashem, we have so much money. And we use it for amazing things. But it's quite possible to live a life in Yiddishkeit without the Rabbani Shalom. It's possible to, to be a Jew, to daven three times a day, to learn a block tomorrow, and to have no alokus in your life whatsoever. The, um, the, uh, there's a big revolution happening in Klal Yisrael now to return HaKadosh Baruch Hu to Yiddishkeit. You see certain places learning different svarim and engaging in different things. I, I was in the five towns recently and somebody said, oh, you're going to daven in the happy clappy minion? So I was like, happy clappy minion? I didn't know what they were talking about. They're like, it's a happy clappy minion where they like dance and they talk about Hashem. And I was like, yeah, I'll proudly daven in the happy clappy minion. Like, it's like a real brisker, like, like yeah, this is a beautiful thing to return the Rabbani Shalom to Yiddishkeit. And to our children, when they say to us, Mazois, what do I need this for? What do I need this for? My sister-in-law is a, uh, a very well-known tefillah teacher. She said it used to be that tefillah was the most popular course in her seminary. And then parents started giving credit cards to their kids for the year in Israel. It used to be that when you came to the year in Israel, you didn't come with mommy and daddy's credit card. 
You came with whatever money you made. You were expected to spend your own money. So tefillah became important because you ran out of money, especially if it was like Hanukkah time and you already spent too much over sukkahs, doing whatever you did over sukkahs. We don't have to talk about it, right? And now it's Hanukkah. All of a sudden you start davening to the Ebishter, like, I need some money. But if you have mommy and daddy's credit card, why do I ever need to ask Hashem for anything? Because everything is just a swipe away. And there's, there's, a, there's a message that we need to teach our children, which is Bechayzik Yad. Without the Rebbe we cannot do anything. There's nothing that we could do. I want to tell you the moment in my life that I knew my father was a God-fearing Jew. My, my parents are both Bali Tshuva. They're, they're amazing people. I'm privileged to have grown up in their home. My mother is insatiable, insatiable when it comes to learning Torah. If there's a shear, she's at the shear. There's no question about it. My father, growing up, used to say, a little learning never hurts, so let's learn as little as possible. In fact, the only shear he liked was Rabbi Meyer's shear. That was the only shear he liked. Shavuos night, we would always go to hear Rabbi Meyer's. Other than that, he didn't want to hear any shearim. So this is my rebellion. I learned Torah because my father told me not to. I didn't know, you know, like, I thought my father became Orthodox because it was like, you know, like a, like a good thing to do, a good idea, you know. But I didn't know if he was really a God-fearing Jew. And when I was in high school, he lost his job. And there was a two-week period where he didn't have a job. Now, when you lose your job at that level, it's not, frankly, the biggest deal in the world because there's a compensation package that comes with losing your job. But I didn't know that, and I was very scared. I was like 16 years old. We had just moved to Lawrence. So now I thought I was better than everybody else in the five towns. It was like a whole thing. And, and then he lost his job. And I was like, Dad, what's going to be? Like, are we going to have to move back to Farakway? What's, like, it was scary. So my father said, I'll never forget this line. He said, when the Rabbani Shalom gave us money, I was privileged to give tzedakah. And I hope that the Rabbani Shalom will give us more so that I could continue to give tzedakah. I had never heard and never heard since my father say anything that from in his entire life. It was the most amazing thing. And he was teaching me something that, I, I'll be honest with you, I learned a tremendous amount from my rebellion. Nothing touched my soul the way those words touched my soul. HaKadosh Baruch Hu takes us out of Mitzrayim. You can't leave Mitzrayim on your own. We can't do anything without the Eibishter. Our homes need to be homes where HaKadosh Baruch Hu's presence is felt clearly. And it has to be something, they say a Maisa, I don't want to say which Gadol because I don't know if it's a true story or not, but they say there was a certain Gadol here in Eretz Yisrael who was the London of the generation, without a doubt. And one of his children went off the Derech and they asked him why. And he said, because I spent more time talking about Rambams at the Shabbos table than I did singing Zmiros. There's, there's value in having a home that the Rabbani Shalom is present in our home, that we talk about Hashem. Shem Hashem Shagar Befiv, it's not a joke. When we talk about the Rabbani Shalom in our, in our lives and we're real about it, the kids hear it. When we say, I can't do anything without Hashem, what do you mean? Hashem, Hashem is everything. It teaches our children, again, that notion that there's something larger than ourselves. So just to sum up, number one, Every child is a world unto themselves, but you have to know who you're talking to. Am I talking to a Chacham, a Rasha, or a Tam? They all need to be answered to their own way. A Chacham needs to be answered to understand your mind is a beautiful thing, but there's a humility that you have to have. We can't understand everything. The Rasha is not a bad kid. He's a kid who we chucked from the community. He said, you didn't want me, so I left. We have to tell those kids there's a space for you in this community, and it cannot just be Hakshiva. It cannot just be Akshiva. Akshiva, you're wonderful, but you're here to send a message to the community that every home should be Akshiva home. I wish you could go out of business. I wish, yeah, I, I give you a bracha, you go out of business. Then you come work for me. But I give you a bracha that you go out of business. I give you a bracha, actually, Ari, you should have a job for a long time. But the whole Akshiva should go out of business. And finally, to know there's a tam. 
There's a kid who thinks, I, I don't need the Abishter in my life, and we have to teach those children, you need the Abishter in your life. Without HaKadosh Baruch Hu, we can't possibly do anything. Thank you very much for coming out. Thank you for those Avreichim that are here. Thank you for all that you're doing for these wonderful, beautiful children, for the parents that came out, your special parents for coming out. I want you to know the difference between my, my, my personal life, my, myself, my brothers, and other kids in the community. My father was our Little League coach, and my mother stayed to watch the games. And other kids... Their parents left them. It was free babysitting. A parent who comes out to something like this tonight, I want you to know you're special people. And you, spent a, you sent a very special message to your children that their learning matters, that they matter, and Be'ez HaShem should be a tremendous chus for them.